That's my fault. Uh, today we're going to be starting a brand new series called Giving Up. Uh, you know, often in life, if you want to get one thing, you got to give up another. Can't afford everything. You can't have all the things at once, right? Um, maybe you go to buy a car and the one that's the color you want is too expensive, so you get the one you can afford that's a little bit, you know, lesser color of your desires, that kind of thing. Um, everything has some sort of cost to it. That's just how life works. Um, personally, I don't like getting into things until, unless I know how much they're going to cost. Some people just go through life, whatever we encounter along the way, we'll figure it out later. Uh, I'm the spreadsheet guy. I like to have it all figured out. If I'm going to go buy a car, uh, I'm going to try to figure in the taxes and assume you know, all the fees and all that stuff so that I know what I'm getting into before I ever show up. That's just how I am. I want to know what I'm willing to pay before I ever walk on the showroom floor. And cost doesn't always just have to do with money. That's an easy example to talk about cost because you can count money and measure it. Um, but sometimes it's just in other ways. Uh, for instance, when Abby and I got engaged, I had been living alone for about a year or so at that point. And, you know, you acquire things on your own. Like, I had all the stuff I needed to live as a human. I had pans, I had plates, I had glasses, I had silverware, all the necessary things. Now, yeah, I had like a futon in my living room and no art hanging on any wall in the entire house. But I had the necessities, right? I had the basics. And so we get engaged, and then we get to go through the glorious process of registering where they make it so fun. They give you this little beepy laser gun, and you just get a walk around the store, and you're like, beep, 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 I want that, beep, beep, and you just kind of do that stuff, right? And so, like, I'm thinking of things, like, that we don't have. And then we get to one of the stores, and Abby um, says, we should register for this set of dishes. And I said, but I already have dishes. And she says, yeah, but I think you need some new ones. And it was at that point that I realized the cost of marrying Abby was going to mean getting rid of a lot of my stuff. That bachelor Anthony's lifestyle was not good enough for future Anthony's wife. Uh, and obviously, yeah, you get rid of that stuff. You make the, the easy choice, right? Um, and honestly, she was probably right. All the stuff we bought, we still have. I think we've only broken like one, maybe two plates. Um, I don't know if we've broken any glasses. We've we don't use the glasses a lot because we don't want to break them. But yeah, that, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, but but the I, but the idea, you know, it was the cost to it, right? And it's one that I was like, okay, I'm happy to pay. Because but lots of things in life are that way. There's a cost, and we just know that. We just assume that, and we're okay with it for the most part. But what if I told you that following Jesus also had a price? What if following Jesus meant giving up certain things, and sometimes even things that we hold dear, things we care about deeply? Um, a few years ago, I heard a story of a preacher in Oklahoma. His name's Craig Rochelle. Um, he tells about when he first became a Christian, and he starts going to church, and he's really on fire for God, and he just feels like God had changed his whole life, and he's sitting in the service, and he looks back for whatever reason, just kind of over his shoulder, and he sees this lady, not very old, He's like, but the way he described her, he said she looked like she had more pain than someone her age would typically carry. It's kind of how he described He said she just looked like she had a weight on her. And he said for whatever reason, he just felt this intense nagging in his heart to give her everything in his wallet. 
Now, as a 19 or 20-year-old college student, he had almost nothing in his wallet. So he gets out his wallet, opens up, there's a $5 bill, and he's like, this isn't going to make any difference. So he puts his wallet away and tries to go back to paying attention to the church service. But he said he couldn't get it out of his head. He couldn't get the nagging in his heart. And so after the service, he walks back and he says, ma'am, I just hope this isn't out of line or embarrassing. I just felt like the Holy Spirit was just really nagging at me to give you this. And he gives her the $5. And he says her reaction was way too big for somebody who just got handed $5. And he's like, you know, God bless, and tries to walk away. And she grabbed him by the arm and she said, you don't understand. I'm a single mom. I don't get paid until tomorrow. And I woke up this morning and didn't have enough gas in my car to get to church and get home. And I thought, if I go to church, I'm definitely not making it to work tomorrow. And I just felt like God said, go be with your church family. I'll take care of you. And here you go. You give me five bucks. Now, let's be fair. This was back when five bucks was, could get you some gas, right? All right. I saw one that said I put five bucks in my car, and the E went from a lowercase to a capital. I thought, that's, a, that's pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, but he said that was a, 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 an instructable teaching moment. And then a few months later, he said he was in the same situation. He sees a guy in the service, that, and he gets that same exact, just super strong feeling. Give him, give him everything in your wallet. But this time, it had been right after his birthday, and his wallet was filled with birthday money. And he had about 100 bucks in his wallet. And he said he went back and forth and back and forth, only that time he didn't do it. And he said, walking home that day, he learned that he had $5 worth of obedience to God, but not $100 worth of obedience to God. He said, there was a, there was a limit to what I was willing to pay to follow Jesus. And, he, and it's really interesting because not a lot of us are going to hit that point where you can measure it and you can put a number on how faithful we're going to be. But that oftentimes there will be this moment where we have to see that there is a cost to following Jesus and whether or not we are willing to pay it. Every Christian at some point, if you really truly want to follow Jesus, we have to realize that following Jesus will cost you. We've got to stare that in the face and say, I'm... I can't be a follower of Jesus and have my life continue exactly as it is and hang on to all the things that I hold on to. Now, this can be a little bit of a tricky subject to talk about because we are constantly revisiting the fact that salvation is free. So you're like, okay, how can salvation be free but following Jesus be costly, right? I mean, the Bible says plain as day. We read this one all the time in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's right there. Salvation is free. So how can salvation be free, but it also have a cost to following Jesus? That sounds like a switcheroo, right? That sounds like somebody pulling a con on us a little bit. That's like somebody saying, here, I got you this free pet. There's no such thing as a free pet. They are so expensive. Acquiring the pet might be free, but they are so stinking costly. Uh, not too long after we got married, somebody uh, came to us and they had a dog that was in a little little guy uh, who was in a, a place that family just couldn't take care of him anymore. He wasn't being abused or anything like that. They just couldn't. They were in a spot where they couldn't take care of him. So we get a dog, and I'm the kind of person that the second I have a dog, I will love that dog more than anything else in the world. And so I get the dog, and we give him a little bath, and we're friends. And he's a little grumpy old man of a dog, but I kind of liked that. He was a little charming, you know. And so 
about two days after we get him, I take him to the vet. Just, you know, let's find out about, find out about this dog. And I learned that he has a heart murmur, and he will have to be on medicine for the rest of his life. <sighs> so not only is the medicine expensive, right? But there is a cost to having to give dog pills every day. It isn't money, but it is a lot of cost. It costs a lot in terms of frustration and patience. And trying to get those little pills, and you wrap it in cheese, and you try to, and they get smart. And over time, uh, when I was a kid, I had a collie, and she was so smart. And we had, and again, I get the, this is why I don't have a dog now. I get like sickly animals. It's just like luck of the draw. That's how it works. And we had to give her pills for her arthritis. And she would um, take the, and, and go like that, and not swallow anything. And then she'd walk into the other room and go, Pfft. and so we'd find these little mushy, soggy, leftover pills in like the other room under the table and stuff. And we're like, that dog is so much smarter than us. And it was so frustrating. So there's no such thing as a free pet. Even if somebody says, here's a free pet, it's still going to cost you, right? So why, it feels kind of weird when you say salvation is free, but, but there's a cost of following Jesus, okay? Well, I think the confusion comes in the fact that we kind of miss the fact that salvation isn't free. It's not just a totally free thing with no value. It actually does have a cost. You see, the, the basic premise behind the gospel is that all humans are sinners, we've done wrong things, we're selfish creatures, and that we've broken God's grand laws for his creation. And God being a God of justice, there's a price to pay for breaking those laws. Okay, So there's a cost that needs to be paid for us to be redeemed and saved. Only God doesn't make us pay it. God stepped into our world as Jesus, and Jesus paid the price. He took the punishment that you and I deserved. He stood in the place of suffering that you and I deserved to stand in. He fully paid that price for our salvation. So salvation is not free. It's free to us, but it costs Jesus dearly. And so we got to understand that this isn't just a free thing, like getting handed a coupon. No, there is a cost to salvation. And so there is a cost then, maybe also, to following Jesus. And we have to understand that when he paid that price, he did not just die on a cross so that we could have this free gift of salvation and go living in our same merry, sinful way. He wanted something better for us. He wanted better for you and for me than to be people who just live selfishly and never thought about anybody else and did hurtful things and disregarded and disrespected people. He, he wanted more for you than to be that kind of person. And so when he died on the cross, he wanted to break the hold of sin in your life so that you could go on to something better. And so what that means is that when you decide to follow Jesus, yes, salvation is free, but he calls us then to give up certain things so that we can follow him to better things, more honoring things, more beneficial things. In Luke chapter 14, which is where we're going to spend our time this morning, Jesus lays out the cost of following him and, and why everyone, before they truly decide I'm all in, should look at their life and try to understand what they're going to have to give up. You should count the cost before you decide to follow Jesus. So in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him. What, this, what, what I think is kind of interesting is that a lot of times when you see this phrase or some, something telling you that Jesus had a big old crowd with him, it's usually when he gives the hardest to swallow teachings. Like the kind of stuff like he was just like, I'm tired of these people, I need to get rid of this crowd. 
and he teaches something that makes people go, ooh, I'm not, I can't follow that anymore. And that is one of these times. So this great crowd was around him, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that is like the most unreasonable thing that you could ever be told. Like to say, okay, hey, you can come in. Yeah, that's fine. But you got to hate your whole family. Just hate them, leave them behind, and carry on. That's like, I mean, if I was going to read this literally, I'd be like, no thanks. I'm out, Jesus. I can't do this. But one thing Jesus often did was he taught in extremes just to get his point across. And the point he's trying to make is one of priority. Um, And what he's trying to say is a lot of times the relationships in your life are going to be in conflict with you following Jesus. Now, not for everybody, but um, you can see this in other parts of the world where there's people that when they become a Christian, like their family cuts them off and says, you're not a part of us anymore. You're dead to us because you've given up on the, the faith of your family and you're going to follow this new crazy thing and we don't want you to be here anymore. And so there's people that have to make that really radical decision. But sometimes in our life, to follow Jesus the way we need to follow Jesus, it does change the relationships in your life a little bit. Um, it might be, uh, man, these friends are disastrous for me. And the more I spend time around them, the less honoring to Jesus I am. And I'm not having a positive effect on them. They are having a negative effect on me. And it might mean saying, I just have to limit my friend time with those certain people. I don't know. It, it's amazing how this pops up. And it, this is probably one of the hardest things Jesus ever says, that there's going to be times when, when we have to maybe make a choice between the people in our lives and actually following Jesus, having a peaceful relationship with the people in our lives and following Jesus. And so it can mean giving up certain relationships. And then Jesus makes it even a little bit harder. He says this, he says, and whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Uh, now, we read this stuff, and we're like, we, heard, we hear the word cross all the time. We got crosses everywhere. We got two on the door. We got them there. They're on the pews, right? We're fine with crosses. But in, when he said this, the people he said it to, like this was a world where the cross was an execution device. That was the same as saying a, um, like an electric chair or a firing squad or something like that, right? He's like, if you're not willing to stand in the firing squad at the, on the wrong end of the firing squad, then don't even bother. This is a, a really graphic thing. Um, the way Ro- the Roman Empire did executions was they did them publicly so that everybody would see it and go, ooh, I don't want that to happen to me. I'm going to follow all the rules. And they were brutal. They were carried out in public. Everybody would have seen somebody a criminal gasping for breath, hanging on a Roman cross. And for Jesus to say, if you're not willing to walk that road, then don't even bother following me, that would have been an absolutely terrifying thing to hear. But what Jesus is is saying, again, as an extreme way of saying it, is that you and I need to be willing to put even ourselves after following him, our, our own physical health, our, our desires, our plan for our futures. We have to put all of that and be willing to give it up if that's what Jesus calls us to. Um, because 
he has to be first. That's, I mean, there's, if you read everything he says in the Gospels, the only thing he ever makes so perfectly, or one of the things he makes so perfectly clear is that he has to be first above all things, whether it's your love of self or the love of the people in your life, whatever it might be, Jesus has to be first in our lives. And I think one of the main things it means to follow Jesus is that following him means giving up control of your life. Now, I've said this before, but um, you often hear the phrase, Christians toss it around, um, that we want Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, or that you need Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. But what is very true is that we are way cooler with Jesus being our Savior than we are Him being our Lord. Because Savior means that free salvation part, and I, you know, my sins wash free, and I get to go to heaven, and I get to be with all my lost loved ones. Salvation, I'm all on board with salvation. Yeah, get me out of my mess, Jesus. Save me from hell, Jesus. Sure, yes. But Lord means that he's the boss, and you're not. Lord means that he determines the path for your life, and not you. And that is not something that we are okay with. We are, in a, we are a part of a country that was founded on the idea of individual personal liberty, that you have the freedom to live your life however you want it. And, and to be you know, taught that all through life in grade school, and now we live in a culture that just says, you are above everything else, you are your own God, this is a hard thing for us to even come to terms with, that Jesus has to be first, and I have to tell myself no, and lay myself down, if that means following Jesus, that he's in charge of my life. And that's a hard lesson to learn. Uh, I fought it for a good number of years when I first became a Christian. It was a couple years in to following Jesus um, when I had someone kind of come to me and kind of start to explain to me, like, you can't kind of follow Jesus. Like, I had become a Christian in high school and was just like, I'm going to kind of follow Jesus. I'm going to kind of do my, live my life, but I'll go to church and I'll read the Bible at church and I'll pray at church and do the churchy things. And I even served and stuff. And then finally somebody was like, yeah, but you can't continue being a selfish, you know, 19-year-old, 20-year-old man living like everybody, other 20, 19 and 20-year-old man and still follow Jesus. Jesus has a very specific set goal for your life. And then after that, uh, I started having people kind of encouraging me through various ways that maybe I should go into ministry. And I hated that idea. I thought that was the worst idea um, because I hated speaking in front of people. I mean, people, like now you get like, I'm broke in. Yeah, I can talk in front of people. You put me up in front of people at a moment's notice, I really don't care. It doesn't wig me out hardly at all. But that, was, that fear was burned out of me through getting up in front of people over and over again. I had the same fear of public speaking that everybody else had. And the first time I spoke, my hands were shaking, and my sermon was like seven minutes beginning to end um, with, with like 20 minutes of content, but seven minutes and I was out the door. Um, and so... Uh, you know, I had that same fear everybody else did. And I did not want to walk that road. I, I, one thing I remember being specifically so afraid of um, was that I did not want to go and have to be a missionary. And I was afraid that if I gave God control, he'd send me overseas. And I didn't, I was like, I don't even like camping. Like, I'm not going to handle a third world country well, Jesus. So I'm not going to give you anything because I'm afraid if I give you everything, it's not going to go the way I want it to go. And it was a, it was several years of just me feeling like I was fighting against God. 
and he was trying to pull me in a direction, and I did not want to go. I had plans for my life. I had plans for my future, and my plans, I knew they were not his plans, and I did not want to let them go. And I did not want God to be in charge because it would mean giving up comfort, giving up safety, giving up the ideas that I had built for where I wanted my life to end up. And quite honestly, following Jesus and the future of the unknown of following him, it scared the life out of me. And I know all this hate your family, carrying your cross stuff, it sounds really, really scary. But remember, um, the idea here is that he, he wants us to let go of certain things so that he can lead us to better things, a better life for you. In John 10, it talks about how Jesus, I want you to have life and have it abundantly. I want you to have a full, the fullest version of life possible. And often what we want for ourselves is lesser, lesser things. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. It's, he said, it's like a kid who spent his whole life um, just kind of playing in the mud and making little mud pies. And someone invites them to a holiday at the beach. And because they are having fun with their mud pies, and they just can't imagine how good the beach vacation is because they've never done it. They say, no thanks, I'm going to sit here in the mud. Like sometimes that's the way it is for us. We want this thing that we love, and it's just not as good as God. He, he's like a loving parent. He says, no, come on, get out of that mess. I want to lead you to something better. But that can be a painful, sometimes scary transition when we count the cost. And so, yes, I had my plan for the future. I had it all laid out. But, you know, I, I look back on the life that God has built for me, and I can't imagine having walked the road that I wanted. I can't imagine how different my life would be. His version of life is so much more meaningful than anything I ever would have built for myself. I've had the opportunity to baptize people and see their lives be changed. I've had the opportunity so far to baptize two of my sons, which is like the dream for a pastor. Um, I've gotten to bring comfort to people in some of the most dark moments, to be at, at some small bit a, a, a representation of the comfort of God in a, in a painful, painful moment. I've got to perform weddings for some of my closest friends. I mean, there's, there's things that I've gotten to do on this path that I never even thought to look forward to, but once I surrendered and let God lead me down this road, I've realized that, wow, what he has chosen for me is better than what I would have chosen for myself. And let me just say that sometimes the way you measure better will change. Like, the, one of the main things I wanted for myself before I kind of chose and finally reluctantly went down the ministry path was whatever job gets me the most money. Like, that's just, that was like my main goal. Like, what, what jobs get me money? You know, and so that was my main thing. Like, if you could told me that, like, I could have been gluing popsicle sticks together for 100000 a year, I'd have been like, yeah, sign me up, man. I could do that eight hours a day, 12 hours if you have to. You know, I didn't care, right? And so, but that's all I really thought of in, er, in terms of occupation for my life. I didn't think about a life that would be fulfilling and meaningful, but, but God left, gave me something so much more than that. And so do not miss, though, the fact that when you follow Jesus, there is something in life, oftentimes a lot of things that we're going to have to give up and let go of in order to walk the better road he has for us. And so it is good for us to sit down and understand the cost, understand what we need to walk away from and give up and decide if we're willing to really follow Jesus. Jesus finishes up in Luke 14 in verse 28. He says, 
For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, and whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who is coming against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so Jesus says it's good for us to sit down and count the cost. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've seen who were baptized, started coming to church, uh, served faithfully, sat in the pews week in and week out, and then there just came a point where something they would have had to say no to, just they said, not worth it anymore. I'm going to say yes to me, and I'm going to say no to Jesus, and they walk away from their faith. And that is like somebody who started building a foundation and just, oh, no, I'm not willing to finish the rest. It's too heavy a cost. And these people, and sometimes us, we will, hopefully not us, but sometimes we are faced with this decision. Are we going to give up these things in our life in order to follow Jesus? Are we going to let go, truly surrender? And this is something that our world is not okay with. Our world tells you never say no to you. You follow every heart's desire. You follow every, every dream that you have. And, and if you just believe in yourself hard enough, you're going to get there. But Jesus says, no, we must be willing to walk the road he has for us. And sometimes saying no to ourselves is the best thing that we could do. But yet I've seen many who weren't willing to surrender their vocational path to Jesus, who weren't willing to surrender their financial lives to Jesus, who weren't willing to surrender... <clears throat> excuse me, what they do for fun to Jesus. They weren't willing to surrender their desire, desired sexuality to what Jesus has for them. And so they started walking a road of faith that ultimately they got to a point where they just weren't able to finish it. And like a person who built a tower and ran out of money, they walk away. And so we've got to be people who count the cost. And we've got to consider the things in our lives that need to go away in order for us to walk the road Jesus has for us that leads to a much better place. Uh, if we're honest, a lot of us are like that minister I talked about at the beginning who had $5 obedience but not $100 obedience. And Jesus just wants us to have obedience in all things, no matter what the cost. That's why he speaks in such over-the-top, exaggerated terms, like hating your parents or being willing to walk to your own execution if it means following Jesus. And my guess is that for a lot of us, there's a line that we've drawn whether we've acknowledged it or it's just kind of floating in our, our brains a little bit, but there's a line that we've drawn that said, I'll follow Jesus until I get to that line, and if he asks me to go over it, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And whether that's something about walking away from a job, changing friends, changing the way you behave, changing the way you conduct yourself and speak at work, whatever it might be, whatever that line is for you, we've got to say, what is that line? Am I, do I truly have limited faith? Am I a person with $5 obedience and not full obedience to Jesus? What is it that he's calling me to give up? What is it that's going to lead me to a better way of life? Because following Jesus is always worth it. But yet sometimes we just can't see far enough down the road to see how beautiful and worth it it is. So whether it's friendships that don't influence you in the best way, 
unwise, selfish ways that you handle money. Um, it could be, like I said, how you handle yourself at work. Maybe at work you have to do some things that are good for the bottom line but aren't exactly legal, that kind of stuff. Or maybe they're just not ethical, whatever it might be. Are you willing to walk to a boss and say, I can't do this anymore, this isn't right, and stand up to that? Maybe some of you, it's just the, the little tiny lies you tell in life to make yourself look better and feel better to people, to avoid conversations. Are you willing to be a person of truth to follow Jesus? Jesus gets everything or nothing. That's what the point of this is. And so whatever that line is that maybe you've drawn, whatever those things you are holding that are keeping you from fully following Jesus, it's time to give them up. Because he wants all of you. And as painful as it sometimes is, and as scary as it sometimes is to follow Jesus, it's always worth it. Every step you take closer to him, every bit of surrender that you give to him more and more, it is always worth it. And sometimes it feels like it's going to cost too much, but there is nothing compared to the life Jesus has waiting for you. Uh, Tim Keller, I saw him write, on Twitter one time, which if you ever want to follow anybody online, Tim Keller's a good one. He drops these little nuggets, and he makes, I mean, a hundred letters, and he blows your mind like every day. He's a smart guy. He says, relationships are costly. Whatever it will cost you to be with God is nothing compared to what it cost him to be with you. And so that's where we get back to, is salvation free and following Jesus not free? No, there's a cost to both of it. Jesus It paid dearly to have a relationship with you, to have your sin wiped away and the wall between you and God erased. And now we return the favor in that relationship by following fully, by letting go of things that get in our way of honoring him. The cost for Jesus was his life, and he paid that so that we could be close with our creator. So now we've got to ask, what is holding us back? What is the thing that it's time we gave up? Let's pray. Father, we are so in awe of these commands you give. They are hard to hear, but Jesus spoke such powerful truth in such strong ways to shake us out of our our complacency, to shake us out of our normal way of doing things, which is usually the selfish way of doing things. And you've called us to more. You want more for us. And so if you've got to shake us a little bit to help us see that, then it's worth it. But I pray that we would have eyes to see that anything you have for us is better than what we have for ourselves. And it, it's so difficult and so scary at times for us to open our hands and let go of our lives and control of our lives and place that into your hands. But I pray that we would be people who are willing to let go of the steering wheel of our lives and let you drive us where you know we need to go. Because as our loving Heavenly Father, you only take us to good places. The, the, the way we get there might be a little difficult, and it might be painful to say no and, and, to, have a, and to give up things and to pay the cost of following. Um, but I pray that we would let nothing get in our way because I am fully convinced, Father, that when we get to the ultimate destination you have for us, when we are on the other side of eternity, no one is going to look back and have an ounce of regret for what they did for you and what they gave up for you. So help us be people who understand that you want us to follow you, but we need to count the cost, and we need to understand where we're holding back, and we need to let those things go. We need to give them up so that we can follow you fully.
Thank you for Jesus and the salvation he was willing to pay on our behalf. I pray that we can use his example and want to be as equally generous to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.